Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode 294 of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast for Thursday, February 21, 2013. On today's show, that's right, kids, social media leading physician voice is on the line with me in just a few minutes. Founder of KevinMD.com, Dr. Kevin Poe, will be my guest coming up. We'll be discussing his new book, Establishing, Managing, and Protecting Your Online Reputation, a social media guide for physicians and medical practices with co-author Susan Gay. Uh, looking really looking forward to this, so it's going to be very exciting. Um, coming up on episode 294 of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast, starting right now. about medicine and social media. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. I'm your host. My name is Mike Sevilla, your favorite family physician host. That's right, kids. What is this show about? Well, I tell people this is social media through the eyes of a family physician. I encourage you to check out my digital library of stuff at familymedicinerocks.com. Shout out to everybody. Follow me on Twitter, all 11,414 people. Very much appreciated. And also big shout-out to everybody who uh, liked the Facebook page uh, for this show, all 737 of you. Thank you so much for that. Today is Thursday, February 21, 2013. It is 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And here at Family Medicine Rocks World Headquarters, it feels like 12 degrees Fahrenheit. That's right. Uh, <laughs> how's your week going there, kids? And I haven't had a show for a while. I apologize about that. Uh, just been real busy in the real life sphere of this, and maybe at some point I'll explain what's been going on. But uh, uh, before we get to our guest, uh, I do want to uh, uh, give a big announcement for next week's show, one week from today. Uh, uh, Dr. Jennifer Dyer, uh, the endo goddess, will be here. That's right. Uh, uh, she'll be here at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, Thursday, February 28th, and uh, we'll be talking about what's it like being a physician entrepreneur, and uh, she'll be going to the huge South by Southwest Festival coming up next month, and uh, for any of you who have never been there before, she will describe to us what that is like and what it's like to pitch uh, a venture capitalist to get uh, your app funded and all that stuff. Very looking forward to next week's show. Uh, but uh, coming up in a little bit, uh, Dr. Kevin Poe will be uh, with us. He is a board-certified internal medicine physician uh, from Nashville, New Hampshire, also a social media commentator, national speaker, and quoted in major media, including the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, 
and on and on and on. And uh, Forbes hailed KevinMD.com as a must-read blog, and CNN named KevinMD as one of the five recommended healthcare Twitter feeds. Of course, that was number six. So I just I just missed the cut there. So. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I'm very looking forward to our uh, conversation. But first, I do want to thank uh, Blog Talk Creator for having me be, be a featured host here on this network. And uh, I've been a social media hobbyist since uh, 2005, and uh, probably a year or two after Kevin was online. And uh, if you're curious, yes, I am a real doctor. Uh, I am a uh, family physician in uh, full-time private practice, meaning I see patients uh, five days a week in the hospital and in my office here in beautiful but cold northeastern Ohio, and uh, now I will take my break, and uh, right after the break will be, uh, Dr. Kevin Poe will be uh, talking about his book, very excited uh, to be talking about that. You're listening to the Family Medicine Rocks podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Family Medicine Revolution. What's that? Just Google FM Revolution for more details, and also a proud member of the ProMed Network of Podcasts. You can get there by going to ProMedNetwork.com, and we'll be right back. It's Family Medicine's leading voice in social media. In my own mind, this is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. My name is Mike Savilla. And on the line with me uh, is the uh, founder of uh, KevinMD.com and co-author of the new book, Establishing, Managing, and Protecting Your Online Reputation, a Social Media Guide for Physicians and Medical Practices. Dr. Kevin Poe with us. Uh, thank you uh, for uh, welcome back to the show, Kevin. Thanks a lot, Mike. Has there really been 294 episodes? It has been 294 episodes. I think this year will be year number six of the show. It hasn't been every week, but uh, it's been a it's been a fun ride too. So, oh, fantastic! Uh, congratulations. Uh, it's glad glad you. to be back on. Uh, and congratulations to you. Uh, uh, it's, we will uh, talk about the book here, uh, but as we begin our conversation, uh, you know, and when you talk to physicians and hospitals about online reputation. What do you tell them about online reputation? Why is it important for physicians, hospitals, and, and medical clinics, so Kevin? Well, I think the biggest reason why online reputation is important is that more and more patients are researching their doctors online, they're Googling their doctors online, and they're Googling looking for doctors online. And back when I started practicing about, how long has it been, about 10, 10 and a half years ago, that was really foreign. You know, back then, people would find me through word of mouth, newspaper ads, yellow pages. But I'm finding more and more patients. I would say about 10 to 15% of my new patients, they found me simply through Google, whether it's my blog or my LinkedIn profile. They, they like what they saw, and, and they found me through that. And you talk to other doctors as well. Howard Lux, he's an orthopedic surgeon in New York, and he estimates it's about 15 to 17%. And that's really a trend nationwide. 
Uh, if you look at some of the other data from Pew Internet, uh, 44% of patients online are, are looking for doctors through the web. And more and more, the, how doctors appear on Google really is going to be patients' first impressions. So I think it's going to be a matter of time that a uh, physician's online reputation is going to be as important as the reputation in the community. Uh, and you sure know about the online reputation of you being online. I think you've been online almost for a decade now. And, and uh, you know, once you share with my audience kind of your start online, I was reading something about you or, or listening to some interviews that, uh, that you were participating in a service called Google Answers back in the day. Why don't you tell my audience a little bit about that? Sure. So I started online It was back in the early 2000s, and uh, I think Google had only been in existence for about three or four years. And as you know, Google has a lot of beta projects, and one of their projects was called Google Answers. And this was a service where anybody could ask questions, and a team of highly skilled Google Answers researchers would answer them. And you could already see this was the, the genesis, the beginnings of a crude form of social media. And when I looked at the service, some of these questions, there were health questions, and it was a little bit disconcerting that, that non-physicians and non-healthcare professionals would be, would be answering this que- these questions. And I had an interest in Google, and I took it upon myself and applied to become a Google Answers researcher, and, and uh, luckily I was uh, accepted. But um, when I started answering these questions, I realized that more and more of these questions started becoming more personal. They weren't what were some side effects of a certain medication. They weren't uh, what was causing, you know, uh, you know, what were some complications of a certain procedure, but they were actually more personal questions. Uh, they were asking me what was causing my abdominal pain. Can you give a second opinion for my husband's cancer diagnosis? And and more and more I realized by participating in this service that patients, just, they, they weren't getting the information they need in the exam room, and they were coming to these online services. And, and it, it, became clear that social media and, and online health in general could fill that information gap that patients were, were, were seeing in the exam room. And, and of course, since then, uh, social media has become more popular. And there's just now so many ways for us in healthcare to, to connect with patients online. And I think the possibilities are, 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 we're still finding new possibilities on how to use social media to uh, better connect and, and improve patient care. And it was a little bit after that, um, I think, when you started the, the Kevin MD blog. And, um, um, you know, for people who don't know much about, you know, what, what that is, and, and I don't want to get too much in, in, into your kind of backstory. We can touch on that later. But um, I guess the, the story that, that I'd like you to share is that um, I think right around that time there was a drug recall from what I was remembering, and, and you wrote about it, and there was a patient that that uh, read something that you wrote, and, and uh, that was a very impactful um for you to say, hey, social media is very powerful. Yeah, it was uh, a few years after I started my blog. I started back in spring of uh, 2004. And uh, at that time, blogging was in its infancy in general, let alone in healthcare. And I would write articles commentating on 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 recent health stories. I would share a few things, medical links. But it was pretty aimless at the time. There were only probably 50, if that, uh, medical bloggers. And a few months later, in the fall of 2004, of course, Vioxx was recalled. And I'm sure you remember, we, we had a lot of patients on Vioxx, uh, a lot of patients with joint pain and arthritis. And when it was recalled, it, it sent a lot of patients into a panic. And, and it pretty much dominated the headlines for, for weeks. 
and patients would call my office uh, in a panic. So I wrote a blog post on the issue, just giving my thoughts and offering some suggestions that these people can ask their own doctors about. And it was a few days after that post, I walked into the exam room, and this patient, um, um, you know, after I said good morning, she said, said, thank you for writing your blog post. I, I realize now that, that there are other options for Vioxx, and I was really comforted by what you had to say. And and I realized that patients, they, they are interested in what physicians had to read. They're, they're interested in what we had to say online. And, and that really was, was a powerful epiphany for me, that, that, that social media can be that vessel where we can communicate uh, with patients as a whole, and uh, I think that's only come to fruition today because not only do we have blogs, we have Facebook and Twitter, of course, and it just gives us so many different platforms and opportunities to to spread that message to patients, and uh, it, it's really be uh, pretty gratifying and rewarding being at the forefront of that. I guess on the line is uh, Dr. Kevin Poe, uh, uh, author, uh, co-author of the book, Establishing, Managing, and Protecting Your Online Reputation. You can get more information about that at kevinmd.com. Uh, so, Kevin, okay, let's kind of just dive into this now. So when you talk to physicians and hospitals and things specifically about, you know, getting to know and learning about their online identity, what do you tell them? I tell them that they should Google themselves because that's what patients are doing. And uh, I, I say that people should Google themselves once a week. And when I say that during my talks, I, I get a laugh. But it's, in all seriousness, that's really the first thing that they should do. And there are some doctors who are, are shocked at, at what's being said about them online. Um, a lot of physicians uh, will have profiles already written about them from third-party sites, from a, a health grades, for instance, or a vitals, and they may not know it. It could be from a media story where they were quoted, um, or worse, it could be a, a negative patient review from, from a rate MDs. So there is already a lot of information written about doctors, and, and they didn't have to do, do a thing to get that uh, get those things written. So that's the first thing I, 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 I tell medical practices and hospitals, is that they need to find out what's already being written about them um, and then once they do, they can uh, chart a course on how to correct that or how to create content so they can define themselves online. Uh, and I get a lot of that, those questions as well. And, and you know, most common questions I get is, you know, like, how do I take that off? You know, and how can I get people to remove that? And, and, and when you talk to hospitals and physicians, you know, you, you tell them a little bit different strategy in, in trying to accentuate more of the positive to, to increase um, and, and try to drown out some of those uh, negative feedback. Would that be correct? Yeah, certainly that's, that's one technique, and, and absolutely. I think uh, when you say that a lot of doctors want to, you know, how do you remove the negative review? The, the bottom line, as you know, is that, that you can't. Uh, there are very few lawsuits that have been successful in terms of removing a review, and uh, if you talk to these sites, a lot of these sites will say straight out, we're not going to remove any uh, negative reviews. It's going to infringe on that patient's right to free speech. So the technique that that I like to use, and a lot of other uh, physicians online use, is to is to is to be proactive. Rather, don't be reactive. Don't wait for that 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 bad review about you. Why don't you be proactive and, and generate that that positive content about you in the first place, and and use that as a buffer for anything that may come in the future. And the pushback I get from doctors when I say that is that I, I don't have time, you know, we're busy, we're around in the hospital, we see 30 patients, we have to do pre-authorizations, you know, we, we just don't want one more thing to do. And I'm a primary care doc too, and I certainly get that, and I'm not 
saying that these healthcare professionals need to use social media to the extent I do or to the extent you do. But a simple act like uh, creating a profile on LinkedIn, uh, that's the the uh, social media site that I like the best. There have been studies where they've compared the different platforms, and LinkedIn actually has the highest rank on a Google search engine page, and it's synonymous with being the professional social networking site. And you can spend about maybe 15 to 30 minutes and putting in uh, the equivalent of your online resume and list your professional achievements and where you practice. And the key is that profile will get ranked high when your name is, is Googled. And that's one way to build what's what's called your digital footprint and push down any of these third-party sites that may have less flattering things or inaccurate things about you. And I think that simple step, which takes about 15 to 30 minutes, uh, is tremendously powerful. And I think every doctor should spend that time to do that very, to do, to do that minimum. And if they don't have time to do anything more, they're already ahead of the curve. That, page, you know, that LinkedIn page can be static. But if they decide to go further and, and explore the other social media platforms and use it uh, to, to uh, do, some, do what other doctors do, connect with patients, curate information, I think all the more better. That's only going to increase their digital footprint. But uh, I, I am a proponent of creating content and being proactive when it comes to defining yourself online. And, and you may have said this already, but uh, you know you've said many, many times that uh, you know doing clinical work um, on social media, um, doing patient care is definitely a no-no. Is that correct? I always say that social media is is great to speak to patients co- uh, collectively, but never individually. I don't think it's evolved to a point where you can give one-on-one personal information. Uh, I get questions, and I'm sure other doctors online, they get questions on Twitter or they get questions on email from people they don't even know. know, Doctor, I'm having chest pain. What do I do? And absolutely, social media is not the venue to address these type of individual concerns. You need to uh, tell them to talk to their own doctor or, or, or at least take that conversation offline because it hasn't evolved to a point where we can give that one on one information. But I do think that social media is a great way to speak to patients collectively when it talks to, when we, when it comes down to dispelling medical myths or giving our commentary on the latest health guidelines or giving our thoughts on on breaking medical news. I think that social media is a tremendous way to to transmit that information because patients um, are consuming information in different ways, whereas television and newspaper used to have a lot of influence back then, but now there are people who only get their information on Facebook or only get their information on Twitter. And I think it's important for medical professionals to have some type of presence in these outposts as well. Um, I guess on the line is Dr. Kevin Poe, the uh, co-author of the book, Establishing, Managing, and Protecting Your Online Reputation, a social media guide for physicians at medical practices. You can get more information at kevinmd.com. Um and let's kind of shift gears here a little bit. And you have a whole chapter uh, devoted to safeguarding your online reputation. And you touched on a little bit of that already. Uh, but I do uh, know that you talk about things like setting up alerts and doing other kind of proactive steps. Can you talk to that a little bit? So once you establish an online reputation, whether it's uh, through 
uh, you know, the various social media sites, you have to take steps to safeguard it. So, one, so in this particular chapter, I talk about, like you mentioned, Google Alerts, which would monitor you through, which would monitor whenever your practice or your name is mentioned in in any website or blog or or newspaper articles. It will alert you. So you need to monitor what other people are saying about you. So if there's anything incorrect or or negative, you can take action about it. I think one of the topics that I touch upon this chapter is how to respond to a, a negative review because that's really the most common question that I get when I talk to physicians about online reputation. And I, I talk about several things that doctors can do. And, and number one is that online reputation starts in the office. You need to provide great patient care, great patient service in the office. And again, going along with the theme of being proactive rather than reactive, if you have great patient service in the office, chances are you're going to have uh you're going to have less of an issue with with patient reviews online but the question happens well, what happens if you do get a, a bad patient review so one of the the approaches i take first off is to is to listen to it i read a lot of physician reviews online and there is a sense that some patients are frustrated they're frustrated that sometimes doctors uh, are too busy, they never uh, give back uh, raw data whenever they go for a lab test or an x-ray. And one of the more common issues is that doctors are now too busy looking at computer screens in, in the exam room, looking at their tablets, looking at their laptops, and they, that gives the impression they're giving less attention to the patient. So I take these these reviews to harden, and, and I, I've made changes to my own practice. I make sure that I have same-day availability. I make sure patients get a copy of their, their raw data back whenever they go for a lab test or an x-ray. And I make it a point not to bring in any technology in the exam room uh, like a laptop computer because uh, I find that just looking at the patient, the eye, that's something that less and less fewer patients are, are experiencing these days. So Reading these, this type of feedback, it's helped me improve my practice, and I think that should be the first thing that patients should do whenever they get a, a critical review is to listen to them because a lot of these things could be correctable. The, the, the second thing that I, that I uh, recommend is to uh, not respond directly to these reviews. You want to take that conversation offline. And uh, one thing that uh, doctors can do is put a general message. If they're not violating, violating HIPAA by saying, please call the office, uh, we appreciate your comments and we want to improve. And you want to take that conversation offline. And, and if you could identify who that commenter is and address it behind the scenes and address their concerns, there is a possibility that they'll take down that negative review or even write something um, positive after after the issue has been resolved. I think it does give the impression that you're listening to them, and I think a lot of them, that that is, is what they want. They want to be heard. They want to be listened, and they want action to be taken um, based on their, uh, on their, on their issue off online. And um, the third thing that I probably would recommend would be not to sue. And and uh, we talk about a, a case in the book where a, a physician sued a patient's son because of a bad negative, a bad review. And after three to four years in court, the case eventually got dismissed, and it cost them tens of thousands of dollars and who knows how many hours of, of litigation. And uh, I think a lot of the news stories associated with the case also was associated now with his name. So whenever his name is Googled, 
this lawsuit's going to come into play, and it's essentially it's going to make a bad online situation even worse. So I think that there are several techniques that doctors can use to safeguard their uh, online reputation, and uh, we go through them um, in, in this chapter. Uh, and you mentioned the lack of time, and I hear that as well. And uh, there, there's a there's a small section at the end of that chapter called uh, outsourcing reputation management. And, and I get that question a lot from physicians as well. Is that, you know, I don't have time for this. You know, do, do I have to to hire another company to do this? Is this is this something that my own clinic staff or office staff or hospital uh, can do to manage it? Because it does take a lot of time and effort. Uh, what do you tell the physicians and hospitals about you know about maybe using another company or another uh, a resource to do this. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Uh, uh, you just have to make sure that the reputation companies uh, are credible. Obviously, get referrals. You want to ask um, your website or consultant to make sure that they're, they are indeed reputable. But um, I think that a lot of the techniques that these reputation companies use are very similar to uh, what a lot of doctors can can do on their own. It's it's generating proactive content, generating content that can push down negative reviews, and these are all things that that a lot of doctors can and I think should learn. And as I mentioned before, just setting up a profile on on a Google Plus or a LinkedIn shouldn't take more than than half an hour to do, and I think it is a good skill for doctors to learn going forward. And um, this isn't so esoteric that you have to hire a, a another company to do. And um, so one of the things that I hope by reading this book is that doctors can be more empowered to take control and, and learn how to do this themselves without relying on a, a reputation management company. But I understand for a minority, they, they may not be comfortable doing that, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with, do, with, with, with outsourcing online reputation management. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, professionalism, and, and you also devote a chapter of that. And, and you talk about there, there are some uh, organizations now that uh, that have guidance, so like the American Medical Association, have uh, uh, some guidelines for physicians. I think it's awful, but I think it's a start. Um, but uh, I always get questions about things like um, a social media policy for a clinic or a hospital or a physician blogging. Um, what do you tell uh, physicians and hospitals about um, social media policies and disclaimers as they go out on this uh, on this journey? I think it's absolutely essential for every medical institution to have a social media policy. I want to uh, tell you that story. I'm sure you're familiar with that doctor in uh, in uh, Rhode Island last year who was talking about cases that she had seen in the emergency room, and she was writing it on her Facebook feed. And even though these patients weren't identified, and technically they may have been HIPAA compliant, but someone who read her Facebook feed recognized uh, the patient she was talking about. So she was uh, sanctioned by the Rhode Island Board of Medicine and had her hospital privileges revoked. And it was interesting because that hospital, I don't believe, had a social media policy. And, of course, now they have one. And and again, this is part of medicine's reactive approach to social media. They always wait for, for bad things to happen before they act on it. So I'm telling every everyone who, who could be listening, whether you know, they're medical practice or hospital or, or medical school, that they have to have a social media policy. But not only just have one, but they need to have their employees un- read it and understand it and have real-life case examples because I think it can't be uh, this is a boilerplate language. I think there needs to be examples and stories of 
uh, and case studies that can really um, make this type of language applicable. And I think it's tremendously important for for every hospital employee to understand that. Uh, and I get questions all the time, and, and you probably too, from you know, medical educators, uh, not only on social media, but this, this digital age that we're in now. And, and uh, I see a lot of medical schools kind of struggling on how to teach medical students on how to, you know, use a computer in the exam room and not be distracted, just like you were saying, uh, you're still focusing on the patient uh, and not be so fascinated with the uh, technology and still have that patient-physician uh, interaction. Um, what kind of thoughts do you have as far as, you know, some of the struggles that, that medical educators are going to be having and are having, you know, with, with this digital age we're in now in medicine? No, I think I think it's it's very interesting uh, because because um, if you look at the number of medical schools who have uh, courses on online professionalism or social media courses, I think the number as of last year is less than twenty percent, and I really think that's where the, the social media education needs to be the most pronounced because the new medical students going in, they've grown up on, on Facebook. They've grown up with social media. Sharing things online is second nature to them. And there's a fundamental dissonance when they go into their first year of medical school and, and they realize that they have to be professional and, and there, there are these restrictions that are placed upon them that they never had before. So I think from day one, Online professionalism needs to be taught in medical school. These students need to know what is and isn't appropriate online. And I think that technology is going to uh, is we they need to learn on how to assimilate technology into patient interaction. And when I was uh, in medical school and residency, I didn't get taught how to how to use a computer in the exam room, for instance, and and uh, how to maintain eye contact. But I think that these are going to be essential skills because everyone coming out practicing now are going to be is going to be faced with that third wheel in the exam room. And that's the the computer or laptop. There was a story recently um, uh, you may have seen on the blogs. Um, you know Iltafat Hussein, the founder of iMedical Apps, and he told a story online about his brother, about how he gave his brother, who's a uh, I think like a third-year medical student, an iPad. And, um, of course, uh, being the founder of iMedical Apps, had a lot of uh, apps um, on this iPad that his brother was using. And when he got his rotation grade from, I think, his medicine rotation, one of the criticism was that he relied too much on his iPad rather than connecting with the patient. So it was interesting that the 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 attending physician view technology as a negative and i think that it's a fundamental culture shift that that needs to change in order for it to be for you know, mobile technology and for social media to be better accepted going forward um, I guess on the line is the uh, co-author of the uh, new book, Establishing, Managing, and Protecting Your Online Reputation, a Social Media Guide for Physicians and Medical Practices. Uh, you can get more information at uh, uh, kevinmd.com, uh, and Kevin Poe is my guest. Um, in our closing moments here, uh, I'd like to share a little bit about your own personal story, which which uh, you put uh, in, the, I believe, in the last chapter of your book. And, and uh, uh, you've been on the show many times, and I thank you so much for coming back on the show. Uh, but but the story that, that, that I love that, that when you tell is um, uh, it, it, you uh, really didn't know any about this uh, when you started out, especially when it comes to, to health policy and, and, and things like uh, uh, writing a, a letter to the editor and, and that type of thinking. Uh, there's a lot of docs out there that are saying, hey, there's no way that I can 
do what Kevin's doing, and, and he's so knowledgeable and he knows everything, but, but you really didn't start without all this knowledge. Can you share a little bit about your story as far as you know, how you started getting interested in health policy and, 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 and a little bit into your traditional media uh, uh, type of uh, uh, interests and, and uh, interviews and things? No, absolutely. I think that connecting with mainstream media and getting our voice heard is really one of the most powerful uh, applications that we have in social media because now we have this, these tools that are available to us that we didn't have before. We have, we have Twitter, we have blogs, and, and we want to be heard, and people are interested in hearing what we have to say. There was a, a time a couple of years ago, uh, of course, I was ri- writing uh, – uh, on my blog and you know, talking about health policy, and, and, and we were kind of in the midst of Obamacare. And uh, the New York Times emailed me; they wanted me to write a piece uh, on healthcare policy. And I remember thinking to myself, "I'm not a policy expert; I'm just a, a primary care doc. I don't have an MPH degree, and, and I didn't have any background in, in writing." But when I started writing my commentary for the New York Times blog. I realized it came much easier than I thought because I actually did have a little bit of background and it was from my own my own site because I had a lot of guest posts uh, talking about health policy both from a progressive and conservative point of view. So there was that background from reading my own blog and it made writing my own column uh, very, uh, a piece of cake. It was it was very easy and I remember when my piece was published in the New York Times blog, I did a little bit of a double take because up top there was a piece from Elliot Fisher, who's at Dartmouth University, of course, and then there was under that there was a piece from Daniel Callahan, who's the founder of the Hastings Center in New York City, and then there was my piece alongside theirs from a physician who literally learned everything he knows about health policy from reading blogs and following people on Twitter. And it was amazing that I shared a a platform with these healthcare luminaries. And that's when I realized that social media can be a a strong bridge to connect with mainstream media because there are some issues that we need a bigger stage and social media can provide. We we need to connect with mainstream media. We need to go on television and, and speak from that stage. And social media gives us so many opportunities for us to do so. Uh, I know that you have done so. You've made that leap from your blog, your podcast, and now you do regular segments on, on local television. And Wendy Sue Swanson does the same thing. She's made that leap from social media to to uh, to local television, too, and, and, and talking to that traditional media stage. And none of us had that media training. All of us had, had uh, our, our background with social media. So in a way, social media gave us the education to connect with traditional mainstream media, and in doing so has really given us a platform that we didn't have access to uh, before. Uh, a couple of days ago, I read a book by uh, Michael Hyatt, and um, he's a leadership guru, and I follow his blog a lot. It's called, it, it is called, incidentally, Platform, and he talks about um, this very thing, about how we have access to so many different ways to connect, and it's really imperative for us to, to, to utilize them, us being the medical community, because if we don't take advantage of these opportunities, we risk being drowned out by non-medical professionals who better utilize these online mediums than we do, and we can't let that happen. We need to utilize these tools that are available to us, whether it's blogging, whether it's, it's podcasts or going on YouTube, because this is the way that the public is consuming information. And if we don't take advantage of these tools, we risk uh, being ignored in the future by the public and losing our relevance. 
Uh, yeah, I, I remember I was one of many people who uh, who was following your blog uh, during the uh, the debate of the Affordable Care Act, uh, Obamacare back at that time, and uh, it was fascinating um, how you were able to bring a lot of people together, not just physicians, but patients, um, executives, a lot of uh, different points of view, a lot of opposing points of view, um, and, and I think that your site has become a place where people feel free to express their opinion um, and people will get a, a well-rounded uh, type of point of view on the uh, uh, on the issue. Uh, if I can ha- ask you a, a a healthcare policy question, I mean, you know, during you know this year, you know, of 2013, I mean, I, I've seen a lot in the news about these um, state-level health insurance exchanges um, and how they are kind of evolving or not evolving or slow or. Um, how do you, from what you're reading and what you're talking with people, um, you, you, do you believe that that these health, uh, that these state level healthcare uh, insurance exchanges are, do you think they will be ready uh, by the time that, that the uh, the law says in uh, 2014? Yeah, that's uh, that that's a million dollar question. I guess the the answer is uh, we're not sure. We're having uh, more and more states starting to accept that. Um, I think uh, taking a step back, I think when it comes to the healthcare reform, I think um, there's a, so much partisanship. There's a, so much um, um, uh, you know, divide between a progressive approach and conservative approach, and I, I obviously don't think that's that's very helpful. I think that our healthcare system, or the problems in the healthcare system, is really too big for one ideology to solve. And it's a shame that we're turning this into an an either-or question, and I really don't think it should be. I think that in order to solve our problems going forward, we need ideas from both ends of the political spectrum, whether it's progressive ideas like covering uh, you know, the uninsured or strengthening the independent payment advisory board. We also need conservative ideas as well. I think we do need patients to take uh, more accountability and shoulder more responsibility when it comes to their own health care. And, uh, and I also think that we need to reform a medical malpractice system. And I think that the health care debate in general has turned into an either-or equation, depending on which parties in charge. And I think that's a shame because I think ideas from both ends of the political spectrum have merit and should be implemented if we're to solve uh, solve our health care problems. Uh, Kevin, I'll, uh, I'll give you a, a few minutes to come up with some closing thoughts for uh, my audience, uh, uh, but I do want to uh, share uh, their information with you. Uh, my guest has been uh, Dr. Kevin Poe, the uh, co-author of the book, Establishing, Managing, and Protecting Your Online Reputation, a Social Media Guide for Physicians and medical practices. You can get more information at uh, kevinmd.com, and uh, um, it is uh, on uh, on sale for pre-sale at uh, Amazon and, and electronic uh, books and uh, wherever you can find it. Uh, but uh, Kevin, thank you so much for being my guest. Uh, uh, as we kind of close our conversation, uh, you have any closing thoughts for my audience uh, when it comes to uh, online reputation, especially for physicians and medical practices? Well, I think my, my closing thought is that it's not too late. Uh, a lot of doctors say, may say they have uh, missed the boat when it comes to social media and nothing could be further from the truth. I think uh, the best time to start social media obviously was would be a couple years ago, but the second best time is today. And I think uh, we have uh, powerful tools. The majority of doctors aren't proactive about their, their, their online reputation. And if they go to some of the free, powerful tools that are available to them and just get started on, uh, and on, and on one of these platforms, they're already going to be ahead of their peers. And that's only going to help them going forward because more and more patients are going online. If, if you see how online 
reviews have disrupted other industries like books and restaurants and movies, it's only inevitable that the, that, that type of transparency is going to come to healthcare as well. So we need to be prepared, and uh, there's no better time to start than now. Uh, thank you so much for, for being on the show. I, I did want to thank you for, for allowing me to, to write an endorsement uh, for the book. And we didn't even get into uh, all the uh, the star-studded people in healthcare social media who uh, shared stories and uh, and wrote the endorsements uh, for the book. Uh, but I did want to thank you publicly for uh, you know helping me uh, through the years uh, with my social media career. You've been a great friend uh, of mine and, and giving me advice uh, along the way. And it's been great uh, uh, seeing you uh, succeed and seeing your success and uh, kind of coming from uh, a, a – a, a blogger, which you're still a blogger, but you're now, you know, your your site is now uh, more a publishing platform. You're a publisher now, and it's been uh, very interesting uh, seeing that evolution. Uh, and it's it's been great to having you on the show. I appreciate the time again, Kevin. Thanks a lot, Mike. It's been uh, tremendously exciting. All right, uh, and we'll talk very soon. So thank you so much. Absolutely, thank you. All right, kids. So um, that's uh, that's my show. How about that? Uh, uh, download that one, kids, because uh, that is uh, that's a good show. There, you're not going to get too much better guest than uh, the the uh, <laughs> uh, social media the uh, physician's leading voice. There, uh, Dr. Kevin Poe was my guest. Check out the book. Um, I know you can't yet, uh, but uh, it is coming out soon. Uh, hopefully, in the next uh, couple of weeks uh, or so. The the title is Establishing, Managing, and Protecting Your Online Reputation: A Social Media Guide for Physicians and Medical Practices, co-authored with uh, Susan Gay. And a lot of people, uh, and you'll see on KevinMD.com, a lot of people uh, shared their stories, uh, wrote endorsements uh, for, the, for the book, including myself, uh, and I thank Kevin for giving me up the opportunity to, to write an endorsement uh, for the book. And it's going to be very successful. Uh, it's going to be great. And, and I've been reading a lot of his uh, interviews and, and listening to a lot of his interviews as well, and uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be very good. Uh, so that ends my show here today, kids. Thank you so much uh, for joining me. My name is uh, Mike Sevilla, and uh, join me next week uh, right around this time here at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern time on uh, Thursday, February 28, 2013, uh, when Dr. Jennifer Dyer will be here, the endo goddess. Uh, will be here. She is a, a physician entrepreneur, and uh, she has written uh, some uh, uh, smartphone apps uh, in the area of diabetes, thus her name, Endocotus, and uh, she'll be talking about what it's like being a physician entrepreneur. And uh, she's going to be going to the huge South by Southwest uh, Festival uh, coming up, uh, I believe, in Austin uh, next month, where it, it always is. And uh, if you've uh, wondered what it's like to go and uh, to be a physician <laughs> at South by Southwest and to be an entrepreneur at South by Southwest, you'll want to. Uh, tune in to that show Thursday, February 28, uh, 2013 at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, so that ends my show. Uh, good time again uh, today. Thanks everybody who joined me live uh, and thanks everybody, of course, for those who are downloading on the podcast as well. My name is uh, Mike Savella. And uh, yes, I will try to uh, get back active here uh, uh, on Twitter and writing blog posts and uh, doing more of these shows. It's just been, life has just been too busy. Uh, these days, and uh, maybe I'll share in a blog post what's been uh, what's been going on. Nothing bad. Uh, it's just uh, been real, real busy last uh, few weeks. So, uh, thanks again for joining me, and uh, I will talk to you all uh, very soon. Check out FamilyMedicineRocks.com. Follow me on Twitter, uh, like the Facebook page for this show, all that good stuff there. So, have a good week, have a good weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you all very soon. Have a good day. <laughs>